This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fans Hockey Podcast, the longest running fans hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who have no plans to change the name of the show, no matter how much Shang Peng makes fun of us about it. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and we've got a really fun show for you today because it is the first episode in what will hopefully be a 32-episode series called 32 Beats, where we're going to be interviewing beat writers from all around the NHL. And today we are starting with the San Jose Sharks and the great Shang Peng, who is the number one source to talk about sharks. So I think you you're really gonna like this interview i just recorded it and it was a blast we covered so much so yeah this is a really good show uh before we get into that of course i'll just mention that we are presented by dauberhockey.com the number one fantasy hockey website out there the fantasy season might be over but the dauber hockey is still producing articles every day about the playoffs and just general fantasy rambling so if you want to do well in fantasy you should definitely be following everything going on at dauber hockey and of course the great tools over at frozen tools that's dauberhockey.com but okay with that i think let's just get right into my interview with shang peng really hope you like it enjoy all right everybody we've got a really special treat for you today because joining me for the lead off episode of this year's 32 beats series we've got the best source in the world for all things san jose sharks the mvp of last year's 31 beats series of interviews with this astute don't draft martin jones advice uh it is the editor-in-chief of the san jose hockey now website a really great source for all things san jose sharks welcome back to the show shang peng Hey, how's it going, Elon? And uh, I like to say that uh, I guess I was so good last year that you guys added another beat. So that's just because uh, solely because of me, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it's definitely not going to be a second San Jose beat writer because there's, there's no need for that. And uh, yeah, I guess at some point we'll find someone from Seattle to talk to, obviously, after the expansion draft. And we, maybe we'll spend the whole interview talking about uh, Ryan Donato and what impact he'll make if he comes from San Jose this year. But yeah, I'm really excited to talk Sharks with you. Uh, you know, I just recently listened to our interview from last year as a preparation. And I got to admit, it was kind of like a depressing sounding interview because Brian and I were both kind of like... Uh, you know, like the Sharks were so good in 2018-19. Like, what happened? 2019-20, like they fell off so hard. And then now I feel kind of bad because I feel like this is going to be another similar interview. It was another rough year for the Sharks. They pretty much matched their points percentage from 2019-20. They ended up ranking tied for sixth in the West with LA, 14 points behind St. Louis for that last playoff spot. Uh, last year, when you helped us break down 2019-20 season, you brought up that they suffered from a lack of depth after losing like Pavelski, Nyquist, Donskoy uh, in that uh, offseason. And that, again, I guess, appeared to be an 
issue in 2020-21. Though I've got to imagine another big issue must have been their goaltending. Like Martin Jones put up his third straight .896 save percentage season. The Devin Dubnik gamble clearly did not pay off. And in the end, the Sharks had the second highest goals against, the second lowest save percentage in the league behind only Philly. So yeah, I apologize for starting on a negative note. I promise there will be some bright spots at some <laughs> point, but I, I'd love to start by just getting your take on like what would you say is the biggest problem for San Jose this year? Like, I'm just curious, like, let's say, I know they have a lot of issues, but like, let's say they even just got average goaltending. Could this be like a much better team? Well, uh, let me first start off by saying that you don't have to apologize for uh, starting on a negative note. That that's the San Jose Sharks' fault. That's not your fault. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of a, just a question of uh, if they had just average goaltending, but they have been a borderline playoff team, that's what Doug Wilson believes. Uh, Doug Wilson said that in his exit interview that if they had better goaltending and a, a veteran kind of a stronger third line center, that he believed that it was a borderline playoff team. You know, maybe a team that gets to get swept by Colorado in the first round like St. Louis did. But uh, but in terms of just the larger problem, the bigger problem for San Jose, um, I think it's fair to say it's a goaltending. I mean, it's it's not uh, imaginative to say, but look, like it doesn't matter how well you play. You know, if your goaltending is putting you behind the eight ball night after night, uh, what can you do? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter literally how well you play. If your you know goaltender is giving up a, a bad goal to 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 start you know put you put you down one zero two zero or whatever, or even if you play a great game, you play two two kind of game, uh, you know, kind of a, a toss up sort of game, and you're but you lose three two because your goalie gave up the third goal was in, you know a little bit of an egg goal, and that's what we got a lot from Jones. And not just Jones, but Devin Dubnik this year, and even and not not to pile on the two young guys because it's a little unfair. But the you know Kojinash uh, and uh, Melnichuk who, who came in the rookies, you know they weren't great either. We'll just leave it at that. You know we don't want to pile too hard on them, but just uh, consistently the Sharks suffered from poor, poor goal hitting this year, and that is the most important part of a team, and that's sort of the foundation. If the foundation is rotten, then the rest of the you know the structure has no chance. Yeah, I mean, that perfectly makes sense. So maybe then that's a potential reason to be optimistic next year, assuming they do something to fix their goaltending, which is, of course, easier said than done. Uh, like in that interview last year, we talked about if the Sharks would bring someone in as an upgrade over Aaron Dell as a backup. And like I said, we I remember we named some like appealing names, uh, none of which were Devin Dubnik, <laughs> who was ended up being their choice. Um and then, like you said, like we did see Koshinash and Melnichuk come in right at the end of the season. Neither of them did especially well. So now, like, going into 21-22, like, are we in the same situation as last year where the Sharks will try to sign a veteran goalie to share the net with Martin Jones? Or do you think maybe finally they're going to try to figure out a way to move on from Martin Jones completely? Or is the plan just to transition to one of Koshinash or Melnichuk? Like, what do you think is the plan next year to try to turn this around? Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I wrote an article about uh, this a couple weeks ago in terms of uh, buying out Jones, and uh, Doug Wilson did not rule that out. And if you look at the money and, and that sort of thing, it's hard to see how this team improves and gets a new goalie, which uh, Wilson stated clearly that they need a new starter, basically. They need to improve their goaltending. And it's hard to see how they do that without buying out Jones. Uh, because if you, I guess you, you can sign, you know, you can keep Jones as your backup at 5.75 and sign like a Drieger type or James Reimer. And that, that will, that will improve your goaltending in that sense. 
But, you know, then you're committing $8.75 million toward your goaltender. And you have, you know, one guy that you maybe feel hopeful, you know, the new guy you bring in, that's the guy that's going to kind of help you out, you know. And so instead of that, it makes more sense to buy out Jones at this point. He has three years left. So there's that six-year kind of, you know, double the the the, the term. So you have a six-year buyout uh, penalty. And the, 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 the buyout penalty is about $2 million. And so what you can do there, now you have a little more creativity there because let's say you pay a guy like a Drieger, you know, about three million. I figure that's what that's what he might make. That was the rate of uh, of kind of that caliber goalie, I think, last year. Uh Reimer might make about three million. Uh then you have Jones at two million. And then you, you can do uh you can figure out what you want to do with that remaining money. Uh be it uh give uh the young guy like a Kojanosh, give him the backup job, or sign another kind of one B-ish guy uh for about the the same amount that you're paying a rhymer. So then now, now you have two better uh, goaltending options uh, in two 1B guys than just Jones and another guy, and or just Jones. By the way, though, the however you cut it, it's it's hard to see them uh, coming back to Jones next next year or. Uh, you know, definitely can't see him as the starter. I, I, I yeah, I hope not <laughs> for yeah. the sake of you know unless he look I, I i like jones you know he's a he's a good guy and he's shown that in spurts that he can still play really well last march actually he was the player of the week actually uh last weekend uh or one of the weeks in march uh but in terms of just the uh the the team and the foundation of the team you know he for three years it's been uh it's been a struggle for him so anyway uh and then in terms of the young guys i doubt that neither are ready to kind of take on a a large role. Uh, I don't think, uh, I think at best uh, you might see a Kojanosh. Kojanosh is, it looks a bit ahead uh, of Melnichuk, at least at this point, you know, it could be a big summer for Melnichuk, but at this point, based on this year, and you can see it by the number of games that Kojanosh got, um, that Kojanosh is ahead of Melnichuk right now. And so he has kind of an inside track on the backup job or uh, kind of the, the third goalie job in, in, the, in the organization if they get two kind of goalies in. Okay, yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I guess if they buy out Martin Jones, it'll be really fun to see what they could do in free agency. You brought up like Drieger, maybe a Reimer, yeah. and Morozik is also out there. I guess they could take a swing on a bigger name. Like I know right. Tuka Rask, uh, Frederick Anderson, though. I don't know if you really want to spend a lot of money on an older goalie. So Right, right. Be, but the yeah. money kind of makes sense there now because if you buy out, so this is why you had to buy out of Jones because yeah. you can't you can't keep Jones. At, like, I actually think Jones can still be a, a decent backup, but at his, you know, five points, Seven five. Let's say you bring up you 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 really try to improve your growth goaltending. You make a, a you know you 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 spend on Grubauer, for example, who's going to make you know at least Markstrom money or thereabouts uh, from last year, right? And so that's about six million, right? So you know can you combine uh, uh, Grubauer's potential six million five point five whatever, right? With uh, Jones's five point seven five, and suddenly you're spending money on goaltenders like you're the Vegas Golden Knights, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I guess you can afford do that if, if the rest of your team is constructed uh, uh, better in different places like the Golden Knights are, but San Jose's team is not constructed well in other places just in terms of uh, money spent uh, on positions. And so you have, yeah, so if you want to bring in, let's say, a Grubauer, then you definitely have to buy the Jones because then at that point, then you can do Grubauer at 5.5, Jones's cap hit at about 2 mil, and then Kojanosh, so let's say, as your backup, you know, at, at uh, basically close to the minimum. And and that's about you know eight and a half million spent overall on your goaltending. So, 
Yeah, well, all of a sudden, then it would definitely make it more appealing to draft a San Jose goalie in in fantasy. I wonder right. what the market would be for Martin Jones if he got bought out. Like, if any team would sign him, maybe for a million or two million. I don't know if I would. Yeah, I don't know. If my favorite team signed him. I think I, I think I, I think that he he might be one of those guys. He'll definitely get a tryout, you know, kind of that that sort of thing, right? And he might have a, a nice preseason and win a job that way. Or or a team might give him like I don't think he'll get two million. That's uh, that's pretty rich for uh, at least for the you know the the free agency market. The these days, uh, which we expect to be as you know, uh, buyer friendly a market as it was last year, um, but I, I can see him getting getting maybe a, a one year just because he has so much experience. And he did show in spurts last year, like I mentioned. You know, he had a great March, mm-hmm. was a player of the week. You know, for one of those weeks, so uh, that's that's pretty good. If your backup is able to give you, you know, has that capability in him to to kind of carry you for a month, which I think it's fair to say Jones did. Uh, Sharks were pretty good in that month, and to get a, and earn a player of a week. Uh, that's actually, you know, for a backup, that's actually a pretty high ceiling. Yeah, I remember actually. Yeah, it looked like the Sharks maybe could still challenge for a playoff spot with that. Like, I think it was like a four or five game winning streak in, in March, but then it all fell apart. They had a really terrible end to the season. Right. Uh, okay, so let's move on to our podcast namesake. I know last year in the interview, you suggested <laughs> that we change it to Keeping Carlson with a C, and we kind of laughed with it, but I guess you were onto something because Eric Carlson, man, <laughs> in that interview, we were talking about, like, can we please have the, like, you know, what is the chance that 2019 20 was just an aberration? He only had a 59 point pace. When is he going to get back to like the 70? point Carlson that he had been before and then at this point like I would love if he could go back to just what he did in 2019 20 because this past season was like not anything that any of us predicted he had the worst offensive season of his career only 22 points in 52 games for a 35 point pace not even half point per game he actually even scored more goals this season than in the previous year and in fewer games. So it wasn't that he wasn't scoring goals. He was taking like a similar number of shots, which was still a lot fewer shots than he used to, like only two right. a game when he used to be more like closer to three. But still, like he, he was scoring goals, but those assists just completely disappeared. Only 14 assists this year compared to 34. So I guess this year, I'm going to ask a similar question about Eric Carlson as I did last year, but just with updated numbers. Is the 60-ish point Eric Carlson for 2019-20, do you think that's a thing of the past now? Or is there a chance that Carlson could get back to at least being somewhat relevant as an offensive producer? Well, uh, Wilson seems to think so. Once again, uh, in his exit interview, he still believes, and maybe he has to say it because Eric Carlson has six years left on his contract, but uh, he says that he believes that Carlson is still one of the great defensemen in the league, acknowledges that Carlson did not have a good year this year. Uh, in terms of just pure point production, I, I, I find it hard to see Carlson being a 60-70 point guy again. I, I don't know if 35 is right because I still see a lot of offensive talent. Um, you know, his... Uh, talked to a scout and scout uh, uh, did not like Carlson's game this year, but says that his hockey brain is still there and it is still there. He he called uh, uh, Carlson's hockey brain, a 20 million hockey brain. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Carlson still sees a lot of stuff out there that very few people can see. And he still can execute, you know, uncork a beautiful pass here and there, that sort of thing. There's still a lot of offensive talent there. Just uh, suffice to say, but in terms of just pure point production, I, I'm expecting, you know, more in the 40s, 50s range, uh, something that, uh, you know, it's still a, a nice total, uh, nice, a nice amount. Um, but of course, though, with Carlson, you, you can't escape it. And it's, you know, a little unfair in some ways. But hey, once you sign a, a contract like that, it's going to be part of the conversation the whole time. And so he is the highest paid defenseman in the league. Um, and still, at least at this at this moment. Um, but I don't know if the production is going to be at that level uh, ever again. 
And do you think that's more just because of like his aging and like the injury, like the groin injury? Like last year when we were talking, you were saying that maybe he just needed more time to recover from right. the groin injury and maybe he'd be fine this year. But you also brought up that maybe it's just because the Sharks like lack of depth at forward. Like maybe that's not helping with the defensemen to get as many points as they used to. Like, what do you think the reason is? I guess I could ask a similar question about Brent Burns, sure. who also had a huge dip. Like he had an 83 point pace in 2018-19 and then only a 53 point pace in 2019-20 and then also fell again this past year as a 30 five-year-old only 29 points in 56 games for a 42 point pace so i guess we'll get to burns in a little bit but just in general i'm curious for carlson do you think it's more about just aging and injury or is it more about just the sharks aren't a team that can support such an amazingly highly offensive defenseman i think it's all it's all i mean it's all all the factors i mean it doesn't help that the sharks don't have a lot of uh finishers uh great finishers on a team um you know one of the interesting things about the sharks this year is that they actually did a really good job in terms of uh, creating uh chances in tight if you look at their expected goals as a team uh that sort of thing they actually did quite well on in that five on five you know you'd be surprised to see i think they were like the fourth best team in the league uh oh. five on five in expected goals which is not what you what what you would expect uh but it's because um uh, Bob Bugner installed the offensive system that, and we'll get to this with Brent Burns, but installed an offensive system that really emphasized the shots in closer, you know, shots uh, uh, below uh, b- uh, below the dots in the slot, that sort of thing. There's just that kind of high danger area. And so anyway, Carlson was a part of that in terms of, you know, there are a lot of passes you see from Eric Carlson get into that slot area, but it's to a guy that just didn't, didn't, uh, didn't uh, finish uh, that that right. part of the job. Uh, but also too, and it's hard to say because um, when you talk to people, it, it's it sounds like there's nothing physically in terms of you know like what what doctors are seeing that sort of thing. There's nothing physically wrong with with Eric Carlson, uh, but. You know, some guys, uh, and it could be just the kind of accumulation of injuries and that sort of thing, but it's not like it's something you'll see in an MRI, but just that he's just kind of slowed down and, you know, he's slowing down a little bit earlier, um, you know, crossing 30 in general is, is always a, you know, kind of a time when you question, oh, you know, is a guy about to slow down anyway. And we've, we've seen this over the years, but maybe he's a guy that slowed down maybe a little bit more. Uh, uh, and that's a combination of age and injury and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's, it is hard to pinpoint, you know, if we could pinpoint it, then, you know, maybe you could solve it, but it's hard to pinpoint exactly what's sort of gone wrong with him. Uh, but it's also hard, you know, again, because he's crossed 30. It's hard to think that all of a sudden we're going to see uh, 2016 era Carlson, you know, again next year, unfortunately, you know, or even 2018-19 era Carlson, who uh, just as a reminder was uh, still an incredible player and in San Jose. But it's just, it's just you know, the, the more, the farther away you get from his best hockey, uh, which I think was roughly uh, January 2019 uh, when he was before it, that groin injury, the farther away we get from that, uh, it's hard to see you know him returning to form. Yeah, which is a bummer because, like you said, there's still quite yep. a few years left of that 11.5 million per year contract. I still, I still hold out a little bit of hope that Carlson can surprise us. <laughs> I, you know, I, I hope so too. I love watching him play when he's at his best. Uh, in terms of a player that I've covered, uh, I, I, I've not uh, enjoyed watching a player more than him just when 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 he's right. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, just to make another uh, jibe at your podcast name, uh, keeping Carlson won't be <laughs> the good thing that it's been for the past. 
last decade. So it's going to be, <laughs> if you're a baseball fan, something like a keeping Albert Pujols or something like that. So. Right, okay, yeah. Well, at least there's some more Carlson in the league that you could maybe. <laughs> exactly. There's William Carlson, who is, you know, uh, good for a good a good 20 goals a year at least. So <laughs> Yeah, and uh, going on a playoff run right now. Uh, exactly. This is uh, crushing Colorado today on Sunday night. Uh, yeah, I, there was that. I love that uh, one game that Carlson had this season where he scored the overtime goal and then he was eating that apple in the press conference afterwards. <laughs> and someone asked him, like, is this your best game you've ever had in your career? And he was like, not even close. That was a good moment. <laughs> that was good. And he's still good for, for moments, moments like that. And I, again, you know, that's part of like, uh, you know, the, 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 the fun and the challenge. You know, it, as a reporter, it can be. And uh, I, I'll preface that. I was not the one who asked that question. And no, I'm sure. That was not <laughs> a great <wins>. question. <laughs> <laughs> but, but though, yeah, like, uh, uh, you know, so as a reporter, sometimes you have to be careful with, with, with the person with, with, with that kind of, how do you say it? Uh, 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 you know, that kind of confidence, you know, and, you know, and when, when he's right and his game is right, you know, um, and, you know, he's, you know, right, you know, right, right, riding high. Uh, but then it also makes for great moments too, just because you see, I guess the, um, I guess the way to put it is you get to see a player's real personality in moments like that. And so whether or not that question was a great one or not, you got to see, you know, really a glimpse of just sort of, uh, you know, Eric Carlson, uh, you know, kind of uh, a master of the world, uh, you know, for a moment there, a brief <laughs> moment there. And we saw that from time to time last year, but obviously not not enough. And hopefully we do see more of that, you know, yeah, more and more of those moments. Yeah, well, we'll talk more about the rest of this team that can maybe help him get there. But yeah, speaking of Burns, I just want to mention that, uh, you know, beyond just the point decrease, which was mm-hmm. obviously disappointing, like his shot rates really plummeted. Like he right. only had 2.5 shots per game and he had been well over three shots per game and even approaching four in some seasons. Like the past five years, he's been well over three. Also, Burns only managed six power play points, which I guess mm-hmm. isn't surprising. I checked the Sharks were the third worst team at the man advantage. They only converted at 14.1% of their opportunities. So I'm curious if you had to pick one guy between Burns and Carlson to show a bit of a bounce back, at least offensively uh, in 2021-22, like who would your pick be? I think it'd still be Burns because um, uh, part, part of the thing you can see with uh, just how co- coaches use the both of them. Uh, well, first for, for Burns, um, uh, again, you know, there's age and I think there has been some slippage there. I think that uh, it'd be naive not to acknowledge that. Uh, but though, uh, the Sharks use them differently, though. The Sharks use them as their kind of top defensive defensemen, uh, paired with Mario Ferraro. They were, they were together basically the, the whole season. And one, one area where you can see it, and this also helps explains uh, explain the, the the drop in the shot rate is uh burns's offensive zone face-off uh, rate in terms of just uh, you know being deployed in that way uh, i think he received on average per 60 uh seven less uh, per 60 at five on five offensive zone face-offs per 60 uh this year than he did uh in kind of the the peak of the DeBoer era you know when brent burns was you know well master of the world you know so about 2015 to 2019 and that's obviously going to eat into your shot total if you're being asked to kind of concentrate conserve more of your energy on the on the on the defensive end and so Carlson was given a little more of those kind of that little more of that offensive push so I think that that is a one one reason why Burns's Burns's uh, uh, totals uh, kind of went down. His shot rate went down, uh, but also too just that there was more of the trust in Burns though to take on a greater role, even a greater defensive role. 
And so I have more hope for, uh, for, 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 for a guy like that, just in the sense that the coaches trust him more. Uh, and I think based on what I saw last year, I, I, I don't disagree with that last year. You know, anything could happen next year, of course. But And also, finally, uh, in terms of the shot rate, I think another big factor for the drop uh, for Fort Burns and also for Carlson is the, the coaching system. You know, I mentioned the expected goals and how well the Sharks did on that 5-on-5. Well, expected goals, as you know, of course, uh, is a lot to do with shot quality in terms of uh, getting shots in tight more. And there was a large emphasis on the Sharks uh, to do that instead of uh, traditionally, you know, what we saw under Peter DeBoer, which is a lot of it was get, get the puck back to Burns at the point and let Burns find a way to get it to the front where you had a guy like Joe Pavelski to tip it in or to at least create chaos there. And we saw Bugner go completely, really completely. It was actually interesting because Bugner was, uh, you know, a DeBoer acolyte. Uh, Bugner was a DeBoer assistant in 2016 when the Sharks made the finals. Um, so it was interesting to see Bugner go completely away from what his sort of uh, uh, his predecessor, you know, the guy he worked for in San Jose in 2016 and in 20, uh, 2019, 20, before DeBoer got fired, go completely away from from what, what DeBoer was doing. And another way where we can see this illustrated, too, was in the DeBoer, uh, the last couple of years with with, with uh, DeBoer, 2018, 19, for example, uh, there's the Sharks uh, were second uh, in the league in terms of uh, percentage of defenseman shots at five on five of the total shot share. So basically, I think it was like 39% of, of the Sharks five on five shot attempts in 2018-19 were by their defensemen. That was a very high, high number. That, like I said, I was second in the league, right? Yeah, I feel like Burns uh, but, was like leading the league in shots. Right, like right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was leading the league by a huge number, uh, you know, back then. And that was basically sort of the nexus of the offense. And a lot of people criticized that because, oh, you know, like point shots aren't efficient, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Sharks weren't looking for efficiency. They're looking for volume. They're looking for pressure, too. You know, even the shot doesn't go in, it's pressure. And also, too, Burns wasn't shooting the score often from back there. They counted as shots on goal, but, you know, Burns was looking for tips. Burns was looking for all that kind of, you know, all that kind of traffic, all that good stuff. And overall, you can't argue with the results of Burns' numbers. You mentioned 83-point pace or 83-point season in in, uh, 2018-19, and the Sharks were a conference finals team. Uh, But anyway, so uh, going back to that stat, though, the Sharks this past year under Bugner, um, I think late in the season at least, I I, I didn't uh, uh, track it till the very end of the season. Basically, late uh, late into April, uh, the, the Sharks were last or 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 30th in the league in terms of the shot share by defenseman at five shot attempt share by defenseman at five on five at like something like 26 percent you know and so that speaks to not just burns and carlson but just a different philosophy basically that's the whole point that that burned uh, i'm sorry that bugner really emphasized and we saw you know that proof in the pudding uh in terms of just expected goals and the shot quality uh, that improved for the sharks which I guess all that said must mean if they're happy with the uh, you know rise in expected goals, that must mean that we should probably not expect Burns to go back to being that three shots per game guy. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, just the offense is not intended to 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 orbit around him anymore, like it was under DeBoer. 
Right. Makes sense. Then I guess before we move on to the forwards, is there like any other defenseman that you see coming up soon that can also challenge to be like, you know, an offensive producer? Like I know Mario Ferraro had a big season for the Sharks mm-hmm. like, as a defensive player. I saw you wrote an article recently at San Jose Hockey Now that says Mario Ferraro will turn your franchise around, <laughs> which is a fun quote. So, uh, but yeah, I, I assume that was like, yeah, he had played a lot of minutes, especially for mm-hmm. a sophomore. Uh, but in terms of offense, though, I'd love to hear you just like rave about Mario Ferraro if you'd like. But yeah, I know like Ryan Merkley <laughs> is coming up and some people expect him to at some point be a big deal, though I noticed in an interview I heard with you recently, like he wasn't even on the top power play in the AHL in the playoffs recently. So I don't know. Is there like the one thing I guess going for Burns and Carlson in my mind is they're still going to be like getting the power play time, right. getting the offensive minutes. Do you see that changing anytime soon? Like, is there anyone else that's a challenger? Yeah, no, I do not. Um, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, Fr- uh, Farrell will, you know, Farrell did see some uh, PP2 time, but uh, he's not, uh, y- you know, uh, he's he's a great player, uh, but he's definitely more defensively oriented. He has offensive talent. Um, he actually, I think, does a pretty good job at the point, but, you know, I'm, I think he, he will not challenge uh, Burns or Carlson for uh, legitimate power play time. They won't replace either of them. Uh, speaking of Merkley, yeah, Merkley, I think, is very, very far away, um, unless he has an amazing summer this summer, but based on uh, what I what I saw this year and based on what I hear uh, from people uh, inside and outside the organization, it's, it's hard to see him uh, uh, kind of having that... Uh, y- that offensive impact at NHL level uh, very soon, a high level at least. Um, he still has a lot to work on, obviously, in his defensive game, you heard, but there's still a lot to work on. I wrote about this. I talked with Barracuda coach uh, Roy Sommer, who guy sort of gave a season review uh, of 2020-21, uh, and he mentioned that Merkley still has a lot to work on offensively. And we saw that in, the, in just the production. I think Merkley had 11 points in 31 AHL games, which is not you know what you would expect out of a, a talent like him. And he was on the second power play unit, uh, at least by the time they got to the end of the season. And when they had their little Pacific Division playoffs thing, he was on a second power play unit behind, you know, Robbie Russo, a, a AHL veteran, uh, not a guy that you would expect to be much of an obstacle uh, for a guy of Merkley's kind of natural offensive talent. But it shows that he has a lot to learn about just the subtleties of offensive game. It's not just about having incredible vision or being able to uncork uh, Eric Carlson-like pass, which Merkley can do and and very few people in NHL can do something like that. Um, but uh, there's other just small things, you know, uh, uh, Sommer wanted Merkley to shoot more, to just, you know, have to keep it simple in some ways, you know, and and just things like that uh, on, on a night to night basis. And so even though points aren't always a great way to judge how a player is doing, I think in this case, and again, based on things I'm hearing, not just within the organization, but outside of it, uh, that I think that's an accurate reflection of, of where uh, Merkley's offensive game is at. Uh, right now and so again if there's not unless there's a huge leap um you know it's hard to see him just stepping in and taking you know really challenging a burns or carlson uh, next season right so maybe if you're in a dynasty league and you're tra- wanting to contend soon you might want to trade ryan merkley if you could get something good for him is what i'm hearing <laughs> the lines, yeah. okay, yes. so i promised uh to bring up some bright spots this year uh so let's go to the forwards and one player who had an amazing year a career year and it's like 
I think last year in our interview, there wasn't one player that we brought uh-huh. up that had a career. Like every player had had a down year in 2019, <laughs> 20, but in 2021, Evander Kane did the best he's ever done. He had a monster season. And this is despite like that off ice issue at the beginning of the season, the whole bankruptcy thing didn't matter. He put up 22 goals and 49 points in 56 games, which equates to a 32 goal, 72 point pace, crushing his previous career high of a 63 point pace way back when he was on the Jets. Uh, and perhaps even more impressive is the fact that he did this with the Sharks having like that weak power play that I mentioned. He only had seven power play points, uh, which had him pacing for less than half of the power play points he had in 2019-20. So it means that he, you know, did all of this at even strength, which generally is more repeatable. And maybe, who knows, I should ask you if you have any idea if the Sharks might improve this power play moving forward. So yeah, not to jinx it, but... Like I said, uh, Evander Kane, this huge year. Also, he was like healthy. He played every single scheduled game of the season, which is the first time he's ever done that of his career. So I'm curious, like, what do you think led to Kane having such a big uptick in his production this season? And do you think he's a good bet to once again lead the team in scoring next year and be this like 70-plus point guy? Yeah, so I think with, with Evander, I think a, a couple things uh, helped. Uh, number one, just is, is role. You know, he's a 20-minute uh, game winger. I don't think there's a ton of wingers out there that play as much as, as Evander does. Usually that kind of uh, ice time for a forward is reserved for centermen. And so I think that, that helps a bit. You know, he's all situations, power play, even though he didn't score a lot of power play, but he obviously got some some uh, some points out of there. But also shorthanded, too. He was a weapon shorthanded this year. And so he's a regular penalty killer for the Sharks. And obviously just as five on five time and he's a crunch time guy for the sharks in terms of uh oh and also another big element too and this doesn't necessarily help me in fantasy, but uh, he did a good job of staying out of the box this year. Uh, early in the season, he was on a tear in a bad way in terms of just, you know, uh, getting to, uh, you know, uh, double minors or, you know, whatever, that sort of thing. So uh, early in the season, Bob Bogner talked to him, like, you got to cut this stuff out. You got to, you know, we want you to be playing. We don't want you in the box. And he did actually a really good job uh, in the last uh, three quarters of the season of, of, uh, of, of staying on the ice. And you can see that too. I think, uh, Kane led the league in penalty minutes the last two years. Uh, this year, not even close. And so I think, I, I think that that was one element that helped him too. He just stayed on the ice. And so I think those, those, those are two huge factors for him and his production. But in terms of him being a good bet to once, you know, to be a 70 point guy, that sort of thing, you know, he's a guy that hasn't even hit 60 points. So, so I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, uh, draft him in fantasy as a guy that's, you know, a point per game guy or anything close, even though he had a season that was pretty close to that. Um, if you can get him at a value of a 50 point guy, that sort of thing, maybe he'll surprise you and tick into 60 and, you know, cross over 30 goals. And he'll still add a good number of penalty minutes. So in that sense, I think if you get him in the right place, then that's good. But I, I don't know if I would see him, you know, he's a little bit older. He's about to cross 30 as a guy that is uh, suddenly a point per game guy. I will say that he is an incredibly talented player when he's at his best. Uh, he's always had kind of issues with consistency I, I, that I've seen. And so maybe he has kind of figured that out in terms of just being more consistent. That does happen with guys. They sort of mature, that sort of thing. But uh, just my guess, just uh, based on past production, that sort of thing, and past inconsistency that I think that that was probably more likely where we're going to to uh, where he's going to go next year and that this season was you know helped uh, that he had the short season uh, you know guys you know mm. uh, they don't they don't have the, the chances to have the cold spells in the short season because they play you know of course 26 less games 
Yeah, that's a smart point. Like, I'm bringing him up like he just had a 70-point year, but, like, it's only 70-point pace. And, like you said, he's never even passed a 60-point season when you count for all the games that actually got played. So, yeah, so maybe Vander Kane will be a little bit, like, overrated to some people going into next year if they're hoping he could do everything exactly the same. Uh, But, yeah, really great season. Yeah, I guess I brought up the power play. I don't think I've really asked you about it yet. Mm -hmm. Like, do you think that they have a chance or any plan to sort of improve things next year? Like, I still don't really get what the the plan is with, like, Burns and Carlson. Like, I know, like, when Carlson... Carlson first arrived they sometimes had them both on the power play at the same time and sometimes you know they'd have them split and like this year with the power play struggling so much have you got any sense of like what they're going to try to do next year like one thing I've always kind of wondered is if Timo Meyer will ever get a shot on the top power play since he's someone right. who's always absent yeah just uh, I'm just curious like what you think is the reason why the power play struggles so much this year and like what's the right step to try to fix that well, I would just guess a lot of it is just the, the players just aren't as good as you expect them to be, and that's specifically Carlson and Burns. But I think it's uh, I think it's a little confounding. Though. I think they're confounded with what to do too, because they started the season as they've done the last three seasons, uh, put put uh, Burns at the the OV spot, put Carlson up top. Uh, that doesn't work. Okay, split split them. And actually, I was an advocate advocate for splitting them on the power play because I think that worked better in 2018-19 when they had a top 10 power play. Uh, but the problem with that is that, again, you know, I, I don't uh, Carlson was not as good this year. Uh, he was the, the 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 PP1 guy when they were split, and Burns uh, also not as good. But also, too, Burns didn't have as much to work with. Uh, Three year, you know, uh, 2018, 19, when you, when you did split a Carlson and Burns, whoever got the second unit still had, Evander Kane was a second unit guy in 2018, 19. Uh, Joe Thornton, who was still a 50 point guy back then, was also on your second unit. Timo Meyer was on your second unit. And so that's a pretty good second unit, right? Whereas this year, if you were the defenseman that got the second unit, uh, you know, you were still playing. Yeah, I think Timo was still on the second unit. Hurdle was on at time. So that's a good start. But then you have guys, you know, a revolving door of John Leonard, Patrick Marlowe, that sort of thing. Uh, Ryan Donato on there. So guys who uh, weren't uh, quite as successful on a, you know, just don't, didn't have the resumes in terms of, or recent resumes. I'm sorry, because obviously Patrick Marlowe's a uh, final well, yeah. guy, but recent resumes uh, like, uh, like a 2018-19 one, again, you know, you had Kane, you had a uh, still very good Joe Thornton, Gustav Nyquist, uh, Timo Meyer on your second unit. So yeah, I guess you're not seeing lots of reasons to expect the power play to improve too much next year. Right. Oh, and actually, let me mention the, the, the part, actually. So they split them apart. That didn't work out. And eventually, by the end of the season, they, they put Carlson and Burns back together, but then they, they flip-flopped them, whereas uh, Burns was up top, which I think uh, I always thought Burns was more comfortable up there, uh, which is why Burns on the, at the OV spot didn't really work out. And Carlson was more on the other side, kind of the half wall, not the one-timer spot, uh, playmaker uh, spot. You know, right hand, right wall, right-handed shot uh, on the right wall, mm-hmm. more of a playmaking spot, um, and so I, you know, so you have three different kind of uh, uh, you know kind of schematics with with your with your Burns Carlson, and nothing really worked, um, and so we'll see if. Um, you know, in terms of something working, I think it just depends on Carlson and Burns really like coming back to form. But again, as we talked about, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, probably not something you want to bank on. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, You'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. 
Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Uh, So uh, we mentioned uh, Timo Meyer. Uh, An interesting part of our interview last year is you were saying that Timo Meyer sort of like had that great year in 2018-19, like most Uh of the Sharks. uh, 30 goals, 69 points. Then he fell to a 57-point pace in 2019-20. And then we were asking you like, which is the real version of Timo Meyer? And you said that you felt like he was playing his like B game in Uh 2019-20. And if he could like reach his A game, like maybe he could still be that. 30 plus point guy unfortunately he i guess stuck with his b game or maybe even fell to his c game in <laughs> yeah, a little more c <laughs> yeah like only 18 goals 47 point pace it was an 18 goal pace yeah so i'm curious to get your updated sense of timo meyer like, do you still think this a game is in him to be this 30 plus goal guy or after what we saw this past season uh is there some reason to be concerned like i see like i don't know in his defense like he only had a 7.7 shooting percentage which was well below uh-huh. his number in the previous three seasons but also like bugner doesn't seem to like him that much like he had a dip in his time on ice and his power play time compared to previous seasons so i'm just curious to know like how much of this downer should we attribute to like a fall off in his play versus maybe bugner not giving him enough opportunity well i I don't know i i i i don't think it's it's a it's a it's a coach is a like kind of like the the coach not liking him i think it's the 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 guy's play like his game was probably closer to to 2c you know, B or C this year. And so the, the time on ice kind of showed that, um, you know, in terms of the shooting percentage, I, I, I do, I do get that that things kind of happen. But I think, uh, you know, Timo scores, he's a volume shooter kind of guy. And so, uh, I don't know if he's a great finisher also anyway. So if they're not going in for him, you know, then, uh, you know, how else, you know, he's not, he's not going to all of a sudden, you know, when it's not going for, in for him, fine. You know, he doesn't have a go-to move kind of to score, be it like a OV one timer or that sort of thing to kind of, you know, get him out of his schneid, you know, like a sweet spot or something like that, where you can expect him to score. Um, so anyway, uh, in terms of just, uh, uh, just, just his, uh, his usage and his production versus usage, you know, uh, once again, uh, you know, I think you earn your ice time. And so in his limited kind of uh, more limited five on five time, he, I think his, his, uh, his points per game this year at five on five was something like 1.6, 1.7, not really that high. And so, you know, you want to earn the, the coach's time and get into the Vander Kane 20 minute, you know, a night winger time, uh, got to produce and he, he did not. And so sure the, the shooting percentage, I can see bounce back. And I do think he has the talent for it. Uh, I do. I do think that there is an A game in him, and I think that he is a guy that who should be a thirty goal a year guy. You know, easy every year. So I do think that of 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 of, of Timo. But in terms of just you know what happened this year, uh, the game just was wasn't there. You know, you saw bits and flashes of it. I don't know if it maybe just got into his head a bit. You know, when guys don't score their snake pit, you know, there's sort of a mental thing, you know, that there wasn't, he did deal with a couple of nagging injuries, but for the most part, I don't think it was a physical thing with him. Um, I think one thing that can help him too, is that 
I'm not sure. One of the things that Bugner uh, critiqued about him, and you can kind of see in the stats, was that his uh, high danger chances at 5-on-5, individual high danger chances, uh, his rate wasn't as high as it has been in the past season. Uh, usually he's, uh, he has five uh, high danger chances per 60, which is a, a you know a, kind of a league-leading or up-there amount. This year it was closer to four. Um, and so there was kind of a drop in that. And Bugner talked a lot about Timo's game being too perimeter. And so if he can kind of shake himself out of that and and maybe play uh, uh, that style that I think the, the the coaching staff wants out of him, then you know as it kind of just piles up chances, uh, and the more high danger they are, then they'll start to kind of go in. And then we'll start to see maybe that kind of uh, 30, 30 goal guy. But, you know, that's, that's a lot of that's on Timo though. He's just, he's got to attack the net. Uh, he's, he's got to, uh, you know, pass a little bit less kind of into the slot and just take the, you know, take, take the puck to the net like he can. Yeah, like Meyer's still only 24 years old, so I guess uh-huh. there still is time for him to figure things out. But yeah, hopefully next year he'll be able to start bouncing back a little bit. I guess we'll see what kind of resilience he has. And then, okay, uh, another guy I'm really curious to get your take on is Logan Couture, because uh-huh. if we were doing this interview around mid-March, I'd be asking you about like, wow, Logan Couture is having this amazing <laughs> season. Like he's he's found a whole new gear. Like at that point, he at one point this season, he had 22 points through 24 games, which is a 75-point pace, which would have been the highest of his career. But then like out of nowhere... Couture, it's like he hit some sort of invisible wall and he just completely stopped. Like he went cold and only had nine points in his final 29 games. His shot rates like completely disappeared. Any idea what happened there in the middle of March? Did he like eat something bad or did like, (laughs) how did he all of a sudden go from having a career year to completely disappearing so quickly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually at mid season, uh, you know, I was looking at some numbers. He actually was second in the league in uh, even strength goals. Uh, He was tied with. Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, uh, the only guy he was behind uh, for even strength goals at the midpoint of the season was uh, Miko Rutten. So that's a good, uh, great, you know, company to be. And of course, he just totally dropped off. I'll admit to you, like, I had Logan Couture in my main fantasy league, mm-hmm. a couple, and, like, Brian was actually telling me that I should probably try to trade him, because he's probably overperforming. I was like, <laughs> was come on, call. no, he's doing so well, and I held on, and then I ended up actually dropping him before the end of the year, because he was just doing nothing for me. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, though, I think a lot of it, though, is probably injury, though. We know he had a foot injury, mm-hmm. uh, lower body injury, and I think he played through it, uh, but I, I, I would guess that. There's, no, no, there's nothing else, uh, you know, Guys do drop off from year to year. Of course, you see that all the time. And, and Logan is in his 30s. But we don't see too often that in season, though, right? A guy just totally drops off quite like that, right? Like guys fade uh, through, throughout the season. They don't, they don't drop off a cliff in season. So I would guess that that, it, that is going to be the main thing with him. And that is always going to be a risk with him because, you know, Couture, captain of the team, and he is – he plays uh, – like most captains of the team do, you know, uh, uh, all out with his body blocking shots. Um, he was used this year as sort of the Sharks' top defensive center, which maybe he's a little miscast as, just in terms of not that he's not good enough for it, but, um, you know, you want to kind of keep him for a little more offense and, you know, save him, save his face off, save his uh, face off, you know, his zone starts, that sort of thing. And the Sharks, with their lack of depth, were forced to kind of use him as they're kind of everywhere, you know, uh, we got to win a face off defensive zone we gotta you know uh we gotta we gotta hold this 3-2 lead that sort of guy you know that guy at all times and so hopefully next year they can add to their center depth and so he gets to do a little bit less of that and that may uh keep him away from uh, injury like a foot injury lower body injury that's gonna slow down his production 
Yeah, so as of now, is the idea that he will be at full health for next year? It's just a yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, okay. he played through it. Uh, he did sit out the last few games when the Sharks were mathematically eliminated. Um, but everything that he said that's been communicated is that uh, it's not even something that I don't think it'll require surgery. But yeah, there's very expectation that he'll be at full health. And so he actually, he might be a guy that might be a good sleeper pickup uh, if you know people are judging him just based on, I guess, his total season, just the overall kind of uh, uh, overall all not great stats just because of, of how he dropped off in the second half so yeah that that definitely makes a lot of sense because like you said he was like right up there among the league's best yep. for those first 25 games uh okay so so far i've only been talking to you about the same players that we talked about last year so i want to end with some of the new players who joined uh-huh. the sharks this year and really made quite an impact and one name that jumps off the page to me is 26 year old alex barabanov who the sharks acquired from toronto around the trade deadline and like he was barely able to crack the leafs lineup didn't do much when he did for most of the season but the story was was like completely different on the Sharks. He was right away given like 17 plus minutes in most of the nine games he plays. So yeah, it's only nine game sample, so very small. Right. But also during that time, he was getting top power play time and he delivered. He had three goals and four assists for seven points in nine games right at the end of the season. Again, I'm talking about Alex Barabanov, seven points in nine <laughs> games. So is there a chance of what we saw from this guy was for real and he's someone that should be on people's radars when looking at potential, I guess, sleepers for next season? Uh, maybe a sleeperish guy, you know, guy that you hope will, uh, will will put up like 30, 40 points for you. I mean, his pace with the Sharks, I mean, what is that? Not, yeah, seven points, nine games. That's a uh, that's, uh, like 65. You know, 60, pace, yeah, that, that's not going to happen. I mean, if you look at his KHL numbers, he had one season, I think, uh, where he averaged about a point per game. But his uh, other seasons, he was more about, you know, half a point per game, 0. 0.6 or something like that. And so I think that's probably a more reasonable expectation uh, for his NHL ceiling to um so yeah i want to get too excited about the sample size but he was a legit i mean i i, I watched every i watched him very carefully just to kind of see uh you know what what he was and, and what he could potentially bring to the sharks next season and he did look like uh there's a chance that he could be a, a legit middle six kind of winger uh a guy again in in that point range in terms of just pure production of 30 40 that can fill in you know i don't think you really want him on your first power play just because he i don't think he's a p P one guy in NHL. Uh, if your team is you know loaded like the like the Leafs were obviously, at least the Leafs at uh, <laughs> forward at least. Uh, but um, yeah, so I don't know if, if if that's necessarily where where you want him. But you know he's a guy that I think can you know be good on a PP two. And you know, if there's an injury, he can help you out uh, in in your top six from time to time, or be a good complimentary kind of second line guy. Um, so yeah, so I, I do think that he 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 does have that value. Yeah, he definitely is on my radar now. And uh, yeah, let's not go crazy, but it was exciting to see. And also just that opportunity like that we saw him get at the end of the year. So obviously, Boone right. liked him somewhat. Another key acquisition seemed to be Rudolph's Balsers, who the Sharks traded for Carlson uh, back, you know, a couple seasons ago. But then they got the opportunity to reclaim him when he was weighed by the Sens at the start of the year. And and clearly, he was someone who the Sharks liked more than the Sens. He quickly <laughs> worked his way up the lineup. He played the majority of the season with Meyer and Hurdle on, I guess, the second line. If you say like Evander Kane and Couture is the top line uh, but either right. way, like Balsers had a couple of nice runs, like in late February and early April, had 10 points in his first 15 games. But then actually a lot like Logan Couture, he went super cold down the stretch, only five points in his final 20 games. So his final season numbers aren't that great. Uh, which version of Balsers do you think will be more representative of what we should expect next season? Like that first initial start with those 10 points in 15 games or more the like cold guy at the end of the year? 
Well, I think like a lot of young guys, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of both actually, where it's going to be, he's going to be inconsistent. He's going to have these nice runs, uh, but he's also going to have these, uh, these cold spells. Um, but I think uh, like Barabanov, I would overall, uh, you know, you talk about his, you know, his hot start and his, and his cold spell overall, that's what 15 points, 35 games that ends up being uh, over an 82 game season. That's about a, a, you know, high 30, 40 point score. And I, I see that as a Balzer's rough ceiling. And so, you know, it just depends on your expectations. Um, you know, if you're drafting to be that guy who can kind of, you know, that, that, that can kind of fill in and do that, uh, then I think, I think, I think you can execute that again, uh, uh, be, uh, kind of a middle six ish forward. You know, if you, if you're expecting him to step in and be like a surefire second line or kind of a borderline first line forward at, you know, 50 points or whatever, I'm not sure if, if that's, that's what I see from him. Um, but I think he is a good solid player and I do think that. The, the good that we saw in him was, you know, was legitimate. That's cool. Yeah. So I guess you're saying like sort of for the Sharks sake, if they want to be a really good team, maybe you don't want Barabanov and Balsers being your top line guys, but maybe for now, that's what they have to yeah. deal with. Like, yeah. I'm curious to know like what you think of some of these other guys that maybe got chances throughout the year in the top six, just to get a sense of like who are uh-huh. maybe p- people who have potential to have an impact next year. Like guys like Noah Gregor, John Leonard, Alexander True all got some opportunities true right at the end of the season. None of these guys made huge offensive impacts. So yeah, I guess just in general, like, is there any Anyone that played this past season, aside from like Barabanov and Balsers, like some of these guys, like I said, Gregor, Leonard, True, do any of them strike you as someone who might, you know, surprise us next year and get a decent role and do something? Sure. I think uh, Gregor and Leonard show some flashes. You know, Gregor has obvious, uh, uh, he, he is probably the Sharks fastest skater. Uh, he, mm. has a, he has a good shot, a uh, very good shot. Uh, but I think his, his, his game needs more variety. You know, like if you take away his speed and his shot, I doesn't really uh, add too much else. Uh, Leonard, we saw flashes, good playmaker, very patient with the puck. Um, so I think for both of those guys, it's about adding other layers to their game. So they can't be shut down in the, sort of those areas that they do do well in. And I think the, they both have potential to be 20 goal guys. I don't know if it's going to happen next year. Uh, I would say Gregor maybe a little ahead of Leonard just because Gregor is more experienced. Mm-hmm. So Gregor has a couple NHL years under his belt as opposed to Leonard only having one. So Gregor might be a good uh, kind of sleeper guy that might surprise you and, and pop in, you know, again, you know, not going to be a, a, a second line, first line guy, but, you know, a good middle six guy, legit, you know, top nine forward in NHL. Uh, true, though, I think uh, it, his he profiles more as a, a 4C in the future, I think, at least at NHL level. He had an excellent NHL season. He was actually the Barracuda MVP, uh, voted on by the by the Barracuda coaching staff and and uh, management. So that's a legitimate honor. You know, wasn't voted on by the fans. You know, offense to the fans or by the media. <laughs> you know, yeah. so yeah, the, the you know, so it, you know, it was by the coaching staff, which I think is a big deal. It, it shows uh, what they thought of uh, Alex's game this year. But at NHL level, though, again, I see him more as a four C. So he may be a, a good fourth fourth line center, but it's not going to provide you a lot of kind of offensive impact, though. Noah Gregor, by the way, I should mention, he had the second highest five-on-five shot attempts per 60, apparently, last year on the team. So, yeah, pretty good season for Noah Gregor. Maybe some of that most people aren't aware of if they're not very close Sharks followers. Uh, And I guess, yeah, let's end by talking about some prospects who haven't yet played on the team yet. I assumed, like, going into last year, I think Ryan Merkley was the player who people assumed was, like, the top prospect Mm -hmm. for the Sharks. Maybe that's not the case anymore. Who would you say is, like, the one player you're most excited about? Like, I guess a contender would be Ozzy Weisblatt, who was the 31st overall pick in 2020. Uh, He had a strong showing in the WHL 
even had a cup of coffee with the Barracuda. He had three points in six games as a 19-year-old this past season. I guess you've got uh, Joaquin Blitchfeld, who led the Barracuda mm-hmm. in scoring and even scored his first NHL goal in one of his five mm-hmm. games he played with the Sharks this year. And also, for selfish reasons, I'd kind of love to get your take on a, a deep cut. A 2020 76th overall pick, Daniil Gushin, who mm-hmm. had a good year last year, scored 64 points in 46 games in the USHL. Uh, I'm curious about him because I drafted him in my dynasty <laughs> league. So yeah. uh, any chance? I'd be curious to know if I have a gem there. But yeah, who do you think are like the big uh, future potential like impact guys for the Sharks? Well, in terms of uh, top prospect number one, uh, um, I think undoubtedly uh, Thomas Bordalo, second round pick 2020, has mm. shot past Ryan Merkley as uh, Sharks top prospect. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, organizational consideration, uh, I mentioned that Alex True is voted on uh, by Barracuda management and coaching staff as Barracuda MVP. Uh, Bordalo uh, was voted on by Sharks management for prospect of the year. Uh, that's a f- new thing for the Sharks or, or Sharks organization, but. That's the management doing it. Again, way more value than, you know, media or fan voting. And so Bordalo was a rookie of the year in the Big Ten, a part of a the loaded Michigan team, uh, you know, who's who are going to see uh, three top 10 picks uh, in, in the draft this year, uh, Owen Power, uh, Maddie Beneers, and uh, Kent Johnson. Uh, and Bordalo was the rookie of the year on that team. Uh, Big Ten Rookie of the Year, too, not just Michigan Rookie of the Year, Big Ten Rookie of the Year. Uh-huh. And so Bordalo profiles as a top six center, maybe a winger. He's a smallish guy, but he's he's a guy that you know, the Sharks are tremendously excited about. And he's a guy that in a redraft of 2020 would go in the first round, you know, with ease uh, based on the kind of season that that he had. Um, so he is the the Sharks' top prospect. Um, I think uh, Joachim Blickfeld is a good uh, kind of sleeper guy to, to key in on. I think he's kind of actually more in the layer with a Noel Gregor or John Leonard. Uh, Blickfeld scored at a half a goal pace in AHL. He has a legit NHL shot. The question, of course, for guys like that in the AHL is, is he going to be able to be strong enough, smart enough, and fat and quick enough to get that shot off at an NHL level? Because time and space is obviously at a premium at the NHL level. So I think I think the jury is out on that, but he is definitely a good sleeper guy in that category where he is a guy that has 20 goal angel potential. Uh, whether or not he'll realize it is a big question mark, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, in terms of a Gushin, Gushin is a good sleeper, but I think that it's going to be a little while though before you see him here. So in terms of, uh, you know, he, he's uh, on your team, uh, you, you know, just have patience with him. Uh, right. He did have a very good year in the USHL. Um, he was a, uh, I think a top five scorer in that league. And that was a league where the, sh- the Chicago still dominated. Uh, Gushin was not on the steal. So I think the, the stat is, and this was given by uh, Doug Wilson Jr., uh, the director of scouting by the Sharks. Uh, but he mentioned that uh, Gushin uh, was the, basically the only, uh, the, the, the only non-Chicago still player to be in the top five in the UH, UHHL of scoring, uh, whether that is total points or, uh, or uh, average you know, points per game. Uh, so that's pretty impressive. And so I think he definitely had a, a, a leap uh, of a year as opposed to uh, uh, his, uh, his first season in the USHL, or I'm not sure if it was his first season, but a year before. Uh, but he's a guy that he's, you know, got to have patience with him, though. You know, he's not going to step in next year. He's going to go to the OHL to uh, Niagara, which he was supposed to do this past season, except that there was no OHL season. Uh, so, so let's see how he does there uh, in, in, in the OHL. And if he kind of keeps that pace up, then, you know, then, you know, maybe you have like a Kevin LeBanc kind of sleeper or something like that. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for breaking down some of these prospects. And I guess we have a future prospect coming soon because the Sharks have landed the seventh overall pick in the 2021 draft. I saw you wrote an article recently looking back at some past seventh overall picks. Is it, I guess, Shane Doan is the best ever, in your opinion, (laughs) of all the seventh overall picks? Well, you know, we had two Hall of Famers in that group, actually, uh, Bill Barber and Bernie Federico. And uh, Bernie Federico, I think, is acknowledged as a Hall of Famer who's sort of a compiler. And so maybe he wasn't the best number seven. But, you know, Bill Barber actually actually led all these number seven picks uh, in terms of uh, uh, year-end all-star team noms. Uh, mm-hmm. So Bill Barber was a three-time uh, uh, all, uh, year-end all-star, uh, again, different from the all-star game. Uh, Barber was a first-team all-star once and a, and a, and a second-team all-star uh, twice. And so actually, that's going to be, I think, uh, the best number seven. You know, Doan was a great player, but a you know, guy was not going to make the Hall of Fame, I think. And, you know, he's sort of a Hall of the very good kind of player, right? So. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of that, by the way, before getting back to the draft really quickly, yeah. uh, we've been having this discussion on our uh, patron discord about Patrick Marlowe. Do you think uh-huh. he's like a sure? I guess now that he's like got the record for most games played ever, like right. he's probably a sure shot for the Hall of Fame. But in general, like, what do you think of him? Because some people were like, ah, he's like Hall of very good. I think that that exact quote is what I've heard. Right, like, right, Marlo's right. Marlowe's had right. a very good career, but not like a, this outstanding career. What do you think about Marlowe's career? Uh, that, like looking back over yeah. I think even if you take out the record, let's take out the record because I think with the record, he now becomes a shoe-in. Without the record, though, I think he still makes it, but maybe, you know, it takes a little longer. Maybe he's a guy, you know, 30-year, you know, Veterans Committee guy or something like that. Obviously, the obvious comps to Marlowe, because Marlowe was a bit of a compiler, too, like a Mark Recchi, that sort of thing. But, you know, there's a point where you compile so much that, hey, you're over 500 goals, you know? (laughs) You know, and so that that sort of, it's not automatic, but that's sort of like, okay, you know, he's, he's compiling enough you know uh you know we talk about shane doan you know shane doan had compiled for a few more years then he certainly you know suddenly shane doan's over 1700 games and 500 goals okay you know then then you know compiling in it itself is is a real skill not very many players obviously can keep up a high standard you know uh 20 30 goal pace for you know about you know almost 20 years uh like like marlo did so yeah so I think overall, I think the record uh, cinches it. But I think even before uh, he was he was in, you know, he wasn't necessarily the you know top fifty NHL player. You know, the the very best player. Like when you think of a team Canada, that's a guy that's on like a like a, you know top you know top. 10 pick for team Canada, but he's a guy that would have made team Canada, you know, right. for any, any of those years that, that, that he was at his best. And that unto itself is, you know, that, you know, he was, he was a great, great player. He wasn't elite, but you know, great. So. Yeah. And plus like just the fact that he was able to be a great player and right. like never get injured is like a very interesting skill on itself. But okay. But back to the draft, I just want to ask like, what are you hoping the sharks do with the seventh overall pick? Like, are you hoping that they take one of these Thomas Bordalo teammates from the university of Michigan? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Actually, you know, I'm hoping that they just draft the goalie, so I don't, so I don't need to write. So we can, uh, uh, you know, it's it's nice to if you're covering like say at Tampa Bay and you have Vasilevsky, and you really don't have to like worry uh, about the goaltending and you know worry about it, you know, just shaping your coverage. Like you, you're set in that kind of, you know, and you don't you don't have fans, you know, complaining to you about the goaltending and buying out the goaltending all the time. It's nice to kind of set it and forget it, right? Mm-hmm. And even for even for a writer, it's kind it's kind of nice to, to 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 have a position that set it and forget it. So it'll be fun if they draft a, a, a Jesper Wallstead or something like that, and just hopefully solve their goaltending for the next decade. You know, like the Rangers did with Lundqvist. You know, obviously that's a high bar, and Lundqvist 
was, of course, uh, not a lottery pick though, by any stretch, not even close. But getting a set it and forget a guy like that, you know, would 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 uh, would I'm sure the Sharks would welcome it after the last uh, three years of Martin Jones. Uh, the fans would welcome it for the same reason. And even as a writer, just be kind of nice to, uh, you know, to have a guy like that, that, you know, is going to be, you know, solid year in, year out. Yeah, I guess a more recent example, you could even point to like Spencer Knight for the Panthers. All of a sudden, right. he like came in and played well in the playoffs, and now now it looks like the Panthers are set. It could almost make people forget about this crazy contract they've given to Bobrovsky. <laughs> uh, so, Shank, thank you so much for all the time you've given us. Just like last year, just an amazing interview. I guess just uh, before we end the show, I want to ask you the same thing I asked you at the end of our mm-hmm. interview last year. If you were able to pick one shark that you expect to be the biggest positive surprise next season, someone that maybe people aren't expecting, you know, as much from as what he'll end up providing, and then on the other hand, like someone who you think will end up being the biggest disappointment and people are going to overrate going to drafts, who would you pick? Right. Uh, I'm going to go with, with actually, I probably said this last year too, but I think it's going to be Timo because Timo's stock mm. has dropped even more yeah. <laughs> this past year. Uh, you know, he was at, a, I think, a 16-goal uh, pace uh, for the you know full season this past year, something like that. Or maybe maybe he raised it up by the end, but uh, uh, not much higher than 16. And so his stock is going to be going to be low, uh, but there is, uh, I promise you, a 30-goal talent there. <laughs> and so he's he, he can be a great pickup. Uh, uh, for uh, for even fantasy, I think the biggest disappointment. I'm going to uh, go go with him again, uh, Eric Carlson. Uh, just just because Eric Carlson will, for you know, the next couple of years or so, still have that halo of of just that greatness, you know. And we're going to see flashes of it too. And we saw it this past season, um, but. If you're drafting him to, you know, with the hope of, uh, if you're drafting him high uh, with the hope of, you know, he's going to return to that Norris form, I think that that's going to that's going to be rough. You know, if you can get him later, and you know, and I think he's still talented, but uh, but I think that he's still close enough to his sort of his prime and and what people saw of that, and just in terms of just perception that people will expect uh, more of him than he will deliver in terms of production. Yeah, I can see that. I really hope that in a year from now, we're not going to be talking and I'll be like, how did Eric Carlson once again do even worse than he did the year before? Hopefully well, I hope you can tease me about it next year uh, for all my jibes on a Keeping Carlson name. A uh, great name, actually, by the way. It was a great name for a decade. And I hope I hope that he has a revival. And like I said, uh, uh, I, I really enjoy watching him just like you, know, you, you guys have, you know, when he's been at his best. And so it'll be great if uh, he can uh, shut us up and, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, chomp on an apple uh, multiple times uh, during during the season. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know you've been writing about how you were giving away some hockey cards at San Jose mm-hmm. Hockey Now. I've got this Eric Carlson hockey card here, which I used to display prominently. I, I've been doing so less so uh, more recently. But, <laughs> well, uh, just put out the Ottawa stuff. Put out the Ottawa stuff, and, uh, you know, that uh, is a... Uh, is a yeah, win-win all the time, you know, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so speaking of San Jose Hockey Now, uh, before I let you go, please, like, tell everyone where they can find all of your great work. You're such a great follow on Twitter, and I love all your articles. So, yeah, just tell people uh, what they should do to get all the best Sharks coverage. Yeah, I appreciate it, yeah. So just uh, Twitter, uh, Shang underscore Peng, and my site is San Jose Hockey Now. Uh, it's a subscription site, but, you know, I put a ton of work into it in the last year. Uh, we have essentially an article every day, or if not, you know, multiple articles a day, um, and write a ton for it, but 
you know, put a lot of work into it, into making it the best San Jose Sharks site around. And so if you're a San Jose Sharks fan, if you're an Eric Carlson fan and you want to figure out, well, what happened to Eric Carlson? Well, I'll be writing a, a couple stories about that uh, uh, this uh, offseason uh, with uh, statistics from uh, Sport Logic, uh, uh, micro stats from them. So things like that. So look out for stuff uh, like that. And yeah, and so that's where you're going to find uh, my work, though. all of my San Jose Sharks work at San Jose Hockey Now. Okay, awesome. Yeah, definitely. People should be going there if they want to find anything to do with the San Jose Sharks. So, Shank, thanks so much for coming on the show and looking forward to talking to you uh, next year, hopefully about a more exciting season for the Sharks. <laughs> hopefully. I like covering the playoffs. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You said that at the end of the last interview also. Yeah. So hopefully we'll oh, be able I? to do that again soon. <laughs> All right. Good night. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks so much again to Shang Peng for giving us an hour plus of his Sharks expertise on Keeping Carlson. That was a really fun interview. I hope you liked it. Uh, I'll link to all of the things that he mentioned in our show notes as Twitter and SanJoseHockeyNow.com. And of course, if you like this show, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know if you're excited for the 32 Beat series. We're working hard trying to get more interviews planned. We've got one locked in for this coming Wednesday. I'm going to be talking to Prashanth Iyer all about the Detroit Red Wings. So expect that in your podcast feed soon. Make sure you're subscribed to Keeping Carlson to get all of these beat writer interviews as we drop them. But okay, I guess what else should I mention here? So Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. We'd love a five-star review on iTunes. If you want to consider becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson right now for just a buck a month, we're giving you all the perks we can, access to our Discord server. We're going to do a patron cast in a week or two. And everything else, check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron for your information there. Good luck to everyone who made it to round two of the Keeping Carlson playoff pool. And it'll be very exciting to see who makes it to round three. There's uh, eight divisions right now. And you're going to have to win your division to make it to round three. There's going to be a final eight. And I think we're going to do one of the round three drafts on the podcast. That's going to be really fun. But okay, with that, I'm going to let everyone go home. So let's cue the outro music. And I guess I'll go ahead and read you the credits, which are simple. It was myself researching the show, mainly using Frozen Tools. And then it was the great Shang Peng at Shang underscore Peng on Twitter at San Jose Hockey Now. It's at SJ Hockey Now actually on Twitter and then San Jose Hockey Now dot com. Again, it's all linked in the show notes. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back at you with another Beat Writer interview in a few days. And until then, of course, remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone.